When I was a girl, I fell in love with finding secret things. Some of the biggest secrets are right in plain sight. We don't see them because we can't see them. We've been taught not to see them. They're willful secrets, chosen secrets, blind spots. And the biggest blind spot of all is how society impacts men and what ignoring that impact means for all of us. Like a furry torpedo to the jugular. This is Honey Badger Radio. Radio Bite. Hello and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. This is HBR Digest, where we go over the last week in Badger and give you the most delectable little bits. I'm here with my friends, Hannah Wallen and Brian Martinez. As always, if you want to support the show, mosey on over to feedthebadger.com for a number of exquisite and delectable feed options, including subscriptions that get you access to our after shows. It's considerably more, so much more content that you could have access to. And if you'd like to get a taste of our community, please head over to badgernation.online and enjoy our public square. Feeling the isolation blues? Have fun with fellow Badger fans. So feed the badger.com to make sure those shows keep coming and badgernation.online to sample the fun in our community. Now on to the shows. Brian. Yeah. You there? You there, Brian? Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Okay. You haven't, you haven't, you haven't, you haven't left to walk the dog. No. Despite my temptations to do so, because I have. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So this week we didn't actually have a special guest because we had a little bit of a last-minute cancellation due to power outage, and then it slipped his mind. So what did we do? What did we do this this Monday? Oh well, uh, fortunately you were around and had something that was boiling your noodle for a while uh, and wanted to like sort of get it off of your chest. So we discussed this idea that's been circulating that you may have heard about based on a small event that's been going on. Um, that is, should we defund the police? And we looked at, I think you were having a discussion with some people on Twitter about it. Uh, I'll call it a discussion. Be charitable. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's and, refer to uh, it as a discussion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this is a discussion. Um, and uh, yeah, we th- you basically wanted to give your thoughts and we turn it into a little conversation with the audience. And uh, that was it. We talked about what, why should we defund the police was basically the question. So mm-hmm. and, you uh, want to add anything to that? Yeah, not sure. I said that uh, defunding the police is a great idea. Uh, as long as you consider how to become self-governing and not need them. Uh, like, uh, and since, since we had that discussion, there are now how many people have been shot in the uh, Capitol Hill anonymous zone, or now it's the Capitol Hill occupied protest or whatever Chop. they want to call it. The Chop. Chop, Chop or Chaz. So I think the count is now 16, maybe. No, no, no. Uh, there were 10 people shot, 12, 12, 12 people shot in, in the, and one dead. Uh, since we had, so just one week since we had that discussion, there are people now dying in Chaz. And interestingly enough, if you, if you look at uh, the, the whole, the whole, the first shooting, which claimed one person's lives and another person was injured, another man was injured, um, I believe they were both black too. So, <laughs> Chaz has already claimed one black man's life. All right. Which is just, it, it definitely does bake my, my spaghetti as I were, as, 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 as you said, Brian. So we have one person 
one black man dead. And what's interesting is the whole thing that surrounded the, 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 the him actually ending up bleeding out in Chaz. The, the, the protesters refused to let the police come in to secure the area after the shooting. And then the paramedics who were, who were ready to come in said, well, they essentially didn't go in. And the reason why they don't go in is because they don't, they, there's a policy that they don't go into a place where it's not secured by the police so that they can, they know that they're safe to do their work. And I mean, here, this is, this is one of the issues of defunding the police. How do you make sure that medics who are not trained to deal with, or at least not trained in the same way as the police to deal with violent situations, how do you give them the safety to do their job? Are they just supposed to go in there with bullets flying, like a, like they're war zone medics? You know, this is this is this is a question. So they didn't go in. Uh, the individual ended up being driven to the hospital in a car, uh, in a private vehicle. Uh, and died in the meantime, and uh, so there, there you go. There's, there's some, there's some more concrete, real life results or um, consequences to this whole thing that need to be worked out. Do they even consider the fact that when you defund the police, when you don't, don't allow police into an area, medics don't go in either? And I can, I, I, there were people on Twitter who were were just viciously attacking the medics, but these medics are trying to save lives. Are you really expecting them to go into a situation of incredible danger to do so? Thing is, they're not combat medics. They're not. They're. They didn't. They didn't join the profession to become combat medics, and it's not their job to become combat medics because some people decided that they wanted to be completely and utterly not just lawless, but also without ethics. Lawlessness. Lawlessness cannot be sustained without a, an ethical society. And if you have a society that is um, full, it's based on victim points, resentment, anger, punching up basically the idea that you have the right to be violent towards other people because you're angry and resentful, you don't get a situation where you can have lawlessness in an ethical manner that allows for peace to be maintained. You get a situation where everybody acts like the, the, the purge is a real thing and they're living in it. And of course, you're not going to get medics who are not combat medics willingly coming in to help you because they're afraid you're going to kill them, too. And I don't see why they should be condemned for saying, yeah, no, we're, we're not going to go into a combat situation. Um, they shouldn't be condemned for that. We're That's... not trained for it. You know, we're not, we didn't sign on for it. Can you imagine that? I mean, a, a, a medic is not like you sign on to be a first responder. Yes. You have to deal with all kinds of horrible crap, but then on top of it, without any training to be expected to go into a place where there could be, you could be shot. Um, and, and nobody has your back. Like the police aren't even there. There's nobody protecting you. And you are putting yourself in the most incredible vulnerable state because you have all of your attention trying to save somebody's life. And then to be so entitled as to say, oh, they, how, how dare they just not, not go in and risk their lives for our social experiment. And like you said, Hannah, you can, you, if you want a lawless society, you need an ethical one. And if you want an ethical society, guess what you need? You need fathers.
Yep. <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that. So you either got cops or you got fathers. Choose one. All right. All right. So this is, should we defund the police? Twitter responds. Then we respond. HBR debate 23 with myself and Brian Martinez. I don't well, know. What you're anyway, about. this Christian dude entered the Chaz, I guess, um, and he was yeah. trying. He was preaching Jesus, and of course, yeah, you know, being sick. a Christian dude, um, he got jumped by the the the, the, the crowd, the Chazanites, the the Chazarians. The, yeah, uh, they, the, they don't like the, the, They don't like they don't like religious competition. The Chazanese, yeah, and Chazanese. okay, let's go with the Chazanese. Yeah. <laughs> the Chazanese, and. Um, uh, th- th- yeah, this was going, uh, it was in uh, the I Hypocrite video, which means it's viral. And uh, Allison retweeted it and said, could you imagine what people would say if police officers acted in this manner, detaining a person, kissing her while she's struggling to get away? I it's- used her specifically. Because yes, wanted yes. To- you wanted to put a, the highlight, a spotlight on this. It's interesting that Chaz has decided sexual assault is community policing, or is it just because the victim is a man? Well, that's the thing. It's like, this isn't you're detaining someone not to bring them to justice, not even to remove them, to deport the illegal immigrant with incorrect religious views from your country, but to to like sexually assault the man. Yeah. You know, there, this this is not like this. There is no way that this is acceptable behavior. Like the, the the police, the, this is right there. You know that they would be, everyone would expect, there's no gray area there. The police did that. You would know that this was enti- entirely unacceptable and they crossed the line. There's, mm-hmm. There is no, there's no justification for this. You can't say, well, it was acceptable use of force. You just don't do that. It's not acceptable. And I've had people in this thread say things like, oh, well, he wasn't being shot in the face with tear gas or uh, yeah. he wasn't being cool. But like, instead of kissing someone being pepper sprayed and or shot in the face the, in amount of false equivalence is insane. I'm sorry. According yeah, to this, yeah, this absolute stud muffin. Um, yeah. But here's on. the thing. If you're violent protesters, that can be considered a, a legitimate use of force. Yeah, it's not like they're just random, like, like cops aren't doing that just because there's like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, he's a Christian or some other religious denomination. Yeah. Yeah, And and the only thing that he did wrong was have the wrong beliefs. That's why he's being deported. He's uh, of a religious minority that's unacceptable (laughs) among the Chazanese. They have there is no legitimacy when the police use a, a violent or confining tactic in order to gain access to sexual the sexuality of the people that they're confining. There is no way that that is considered acceptable by anyone or d- justifiable by anyone. If you had video of that, everybody would agree that is wrong because that can't be seen as a way of maintaining public order. That is automatically seen as something that is exploitative and criminal, no matter what context. This is exploitative exploitative and criminal, okay? The fact that you didn't also pepper spray him is irrelevant. This is nothing to do with detaining him, deporting him, or resolving any kind of violence that he wasn't doing in the first place. This is simply exploiting him, 
You are exploiting this man. In what context could we legitimately not defund the police, but pursue a way of reducing the necessity of the police for meeting violence to violence? Because that's really what the police are. They represent the group of people in our society that we have said they are allowed to use violence in the face of violence in order to, 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 to reestablish public order and protect people who aren't able to use violence in the face of violence. That's essentially what they are. And the whole discussion about police brutality revolves around when does that use of violence become excessive? But here's the thing. A lot of the things that I've been seeing that have been presented as examples of police brutality, you have to understand when you're looking at this that because the police have been granted this authority by our society, they've been granted the moral authority to meet violence with violence, they are actually granted the authority to escalate the violence to the point where the initiatory violence stops. So when you look at a situation where police are escalating the violence so that the initiatory violence stops, you can't just say, well, they escalated the violence. Ah, oh, therefore it's police brutality. They have the authority to do that. That's the whole concept behind the police. They have the authority to escalate the violence to the point where they think that the uh, initiatory violence has ended or that they have they have neutralized um, or uh, detained or otherwise gotten rid of the original violence. That is what we grant them. That is the, the authority that we grant them. So you can't look at every instance of a policeman or a policewoman or a police escalating violence as, as police brutality. And I'm seeing a lot of that, a, a lot of that presented as police brutality. And it's like, well, that's what they're authorized to do. When you end someone's violence, you often have to escalate. And yeah, sure, there may be situations where they could have de-escalated instead of escalating, but often it can be extremely difficult to figure out when it's A and when it's B, when you're having somebody shooting a taser at you or a gun or coming at you with a knife or acting really crazy and reaching for something in their jacket. I mean, it's extremely difficult for, for somebody to get it right every single time. The only way that you can get rid of the police and not have an increase in violence incidents, either the police uh, violence or, well, you're getting rid of the, the incidents related to the police, but certainly not related to the general population, is to address anything that you're doing in your society to encourage people to be violent and try to resolve that. So make people more governable and try to take the people who might have expressed themselves with violence and figure out how to make them express themselves with interpretive dance or I don't know, murals, painting, whatever. Okay. What I'm interested with in anarchy is self-governance. How do you create communities that govern themselves? And, and it, it's possible. You can create a community in which there's very little need for the use of, of, of cops or, or violence to, to, for it to be governed. And they just, people just go about their business happily. And they just form families. They engage in community organization. They do volunteer work. Um, in the winter here, the community actually constructs um, several hundred miles of snow highways for snowmobiling. And that's all volunteer. And it's all 
completely volunteerism. It's completely without anybody directing them to do it. And it's all volunteer organized. So this is a high degree of self-governance. And what fascinates me is it's self-governance is anarchy. It, 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 you, you, and in my opinion, where a lot of anarchists get it wrong, and I know I'm playing the game of uh, uh, no true anarchist, but is in thinking that the problem is government, just like statists think that the solution is government. I personally think we inflict government on ourselves because we are ungovernable, that we are un un incapable of governing ourselves. So it doesn't matter if you get rid of government, if you're incapable of governing yourself, you'll end up with either government or warlords that will govern you. So it, anarchy to me is the ability to abide by rules without have you know without without government force you know and and what's curious to me is it's obvious that some communities and some people are self-governing and other people aren't and why is that and in my opinion from my observations those communities that are self-governing that are truly anarchistic as opposed to simply just uh Entro essentially agents of entropy is what I would call them because destruction isn't anarchy. It's entropy. It's, it's returning everything to the baseline of not having anything actually built up. And, um, and again, I know a no true anarchist, but this is my interpretation. So I know that I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not going to say that there are not people under the banner of anarchy who think that anarchy is tearing shit down. Um, but to me, that, that doesn't seem right, that anarchy is organization without government, essentially, which requires self-governance. And in my opinion, having looked throughout history and having looked at different communities, the difference between a community that requires governance, outside governance, and a community that has got some sort of homeostasis where people are governing themselves and also sort of governing the community Community like that, the difference is family formation, some kind of unified belief system. It doesn't necessarily have to be religious, but it has to be some kind of identity. And, um, and fathers in the home. So if you really want an, uh, people to govern themselves and you want a state of true anarchy, you have to focus on that. That's like what we're looking at in... Uh... Um, what was so Soimalia, as some people call it, um, what we're looking at in Soimalia is a as the result of what I think are um, a bunch of angry adults that are lashing out at their parents in the form of the police uh, departments mm -hmm. and society in general because they're mm -hmm. unhappy. And this isn't like a class thing. Yes, I know that there are some you know, rich kids in there, but there's also a lot of normal kids, a lot of angry homeless people, a lot of, uh, you know, just professional victims, college students, whatever. And they're all just, I think they're all just mad at their parents, whether they were well, not present, abused by them, or they were there, but they weren't involved. Or alternatively, their, their parents are woke, um, upper class elite liberals who mm -hmm. taught their children that, you know, being white is bad and gave them no identity 
You know, like, and I don't even think they need a white identity, but you don't need to be told no. that your skin color makes you bad. No, no, they don't. And, they, yeah. And, all, and then absolutely no identity for the boys. Like you have no son. You have no worth. Like you'd not, nah, you being a, being a husband, you'd patriarchal oppression, being a father, patriarchal oppression, getting a good job, you know, just going to press your woman, you know, like there's, there's nothing. And then daughter, you're just going to be a victim. Like, mm-hmm. Domestic abuse and rape are rampant among police and correctional officers. The current system just exacerbates the problem. He's actually referring to a study that I have looked at. It's dishonest to say the police have four times higher rate of domestic abuse perpetrated by the police. It's actually in police families, and it isn't perpetrated by the police. Interestingly enough, the police are more likely to be victims of domestic violence than Hmm. average. You know, yeah, I looked at the actual statistics. No, that makes sense. I remember it was a that's that woman in Australia said something about during all the fires that were going on about mm-hmm. how the firefighters would like typically go home and beat their wives after a stressful day. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. Turns out, I think it's mm-hmm. a pretty similar situation. Yeah. And they this is what happens is they do. Uh, they do studies on people, like groups of men, like police or firefighters, and they find a high degree of domestic violence in their families, and they just report it's being done by the police or the firefighters, when in fact the police or the firefighters are the victims. And this this actually happens with a lot of groups of men who are trained to uh, use... Uh, I, I, firefighters aren't trained to use violence, but they are trained to um, go into dangerous situations. So they have a higher degree of, I guess, survival training. Um, So they're seen as being stronger. And this happens with lots of groups of men who are perceived to be stronger. They end up being more vulnerable to being abused by women because nobody's going to believe them. And the women know that. So they exploit that fact. And of course, these guys often, you know, what's interesting is people will say that um, men who are allow themselves to be abused are feminine or like they, they are weak, but it's their testosterone that's allowing them to be abused. It's, it's, it is um, the fact that they're male that makes them be less likely to lash out. Feminine men are more likely to belt a woman if she hits them. Because they don't have that that hormonal, you know, you know, break on their behavior that that more masculine men have. So it's actually their masculinity that makes them more likely to be abused and exploited by women. There are criminal men who respond to therapy. Okay, but there are criminal men who do not. Okay, so. They're generally when uh, you have antisocial personality disorder and it's not comorbid with psychopath psychopathy, I think it is, you can the, the, the men can respond to abuse. But if it is comorbid with that, they or they can respond to therapy. But if it is comorbid with it, they don't. So there's already that problem. Mm-hmm. There are some criminal men who do not respond to therapy. So, okay, those men will not respond to therapy. Presumably, they're not being incarcerated while they're being put through therapy, so they're free to move around. They're just going to continue to rape. 
if your only solution is therapy. Well, and then also like our therapists in the current way that they have been trained actually going to be conducting therapy in such a way that is going to be helpful to men. When we yeah. look at all of the stuff that we've already talked about on the show previously with regards to how therapists are supposed to deal with men. And that's and that raises another question too, are women also going to be recognized as uh, you know, people who can be rapists and sexual assaulters? Yeah, that's my next question for him. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Would you have to figure out why people become rapists to rehabilitate them confectively? Certainly. Addressing the societal and environmental factors that lead people to rape would be another big component of an alternative to the carceral, carceral state. And I said, like having been raped by women for boys. A hist- and he responds, a history of sexual abuse is a common factor. Better support for survivors of sexual abuse would be extremely beneficial both personally and at a broader societal level for just that reason. It's like, okay. So now we're talking men's issues with this guy. A.B., Eric A.B. is now advocating for increased um, awareness and therapy for boys who are sexually abused, particularly boys who are sexually abused by women. So now this guy is advocating for a men's issue. Mm-hmm. Why we had to go to the freaking point of defunding the police to get these people to start thinking about men's issues, I don't know. But now they're thinking about it. So I'm like... Okay. I don't even know what to say. Like, literally, if they're saying, um, oh, we're going to replace the police with what they're talking about, what they're really talking about, fathers back in the home, male mentors for young men, all of this, that's what's going to replace the police. And the, 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 the organization is going to do the opposite of that. It's just... It's just astounding because they've they, like the, the people who are saying, let's get defund the police. They're groping towards understanding that the problem is is uh, is how we treat men. I can see that in the comments that in the discussion that I'm having that we need to, you know, we need to have proper support for men. You know, we also I haven't brought this up. But we also need fathers in the home. We need male mentors in order to rebuild the fabric to replace the police. But the organization itself, it's just got a quarter of a billion dollars is going to do the exact opposite of that. It's going to be interesting. Yep. Because once they defund, if they do get to defund the police, all of the women who are part of black lives matter, who believe in breaking the black family or whatever, or, and uh, removing black men from their role in the black family and black communities, uh, you know, removing the requirement of the nuclear family. So that means, I mean, when you remove the requirement for the nuclear family, what does that mean? It means we're against marriage. We don't want women to feel like they have to raise their children with the children's father. That's what they're saying. Yeah, they're exactly. Yeah, it's feminist, basically. Yeah, it's feminist. Yeah. So they're going to do that. And then they're going to, then the rest of the movement's going to defund the police. Well, guess what? When you defund the police, as I said before, that means women are stuck with the men they choose mm-hmm. because you don't have the police to get them out of your house. Like you don't have the police to intervene and, and, uh, and deal with, with men, you know, they got that, that Raz guy, his woman is stuck with him now. 
There's no police that's going to intervene if she stalks her to another location. I mean, if they get this defunding across, imagine if they get the defunding across the U.S., as, if, as long as Raz wants that woman, she can't stop him. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm just using him because apparently he's already willing to use force to get his ends met. So, yeah, ladies, if you defund the police, you're sort of stuck with the men you choose because you can't appeal to anyone to get rid of them. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. And we're back from should we defund the police? Twitter responds and then we respond. Speaking of defunding the police or disarming. <laughs> Brian, <laughs> a painful segue. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you had the news show on Tuesday. What did you choose to talk about and why? Well, on this week's news show, I tried to... I usually try to find stuff that isn't related to all of the chaos going on because there's often other stories that might like slip under, you know, slip past people. Um, but there were some that I could not ignore. So one is that uh, the, on the uh, HBO Max streaming service, which is basically a new streaming service from HBO that replaces HBO Go um, with a bunch of uh, new shows, they uh, have put on HBO Max the Looney Tunes cartoons, which some of you guys may remember if you know characters such as Bugs Bunny and uh, Daffy Duck, Elmer Fudd, and Yosemite Sam, for example. However, they also released 200, I think it's about 200 new episodes, brand new, just to come out with HBO Max. Although there was a noted um, absence of something that is has been considered to be pretty significant, and that is that the characters Elmer Fudd and Yosemite Sam, and by extension, all the others, no longer carry firearms. So Yosemite Sam's uh, iconic twin revolvers and Elmer Fudd's hunting rifle no longer exist. Instead, they're using explosives and uh, edge weapons like scythes um, (laughs) and other things to sort of catch the rabbit. And the point of it is this was on purpose, um, the the producers uh, of these of this new show said that they wanted to move away from gun violence, uh, and this is a way of responding to that, and also make a statement about it by taking the guns away from uh, Yosemite Sam and Elmer Fudd for starters. So that was something that we had to comment on because it's so silly. Uh, something that was much darker was there was a Missouri woman who was a college graduate. Uh, I, uh, or a college student. I'm not sure if she's a graduate yet, but she essentially got Merriam-Webster to change the definition of racism itself so that she no longer has to justify her own racism. And that's actually what it is. So normally the, the definition of racism, like any other kind of bigotry, is pretty self-explanatory. It's universal 
Um, you know, it applies regardless of who the victims are uh, and who the perpetrators are. But she's changing the definition so that it essentially includes that sort of more woke postmodern paradigm of people with power and privilege and and prejudice are the only ones that can be racist, i.e. white people. And uh, we talked a little bit about that and and essentially the dangerous precedent it sets. It seems it seems small, but changing the definition of something with essentially with the Merriam-Webster, which was is is typically considered the authority on definitions in general, uh, I think people should see that as a terrifying, a terrifying prospect. And the fact that she was able to do it so easily, she there was no petition, there wasn't like, you know, she didn't have to go through any big major channels. She essentially wrote a letter, one person wrote one letter to Merriam-Webster, and they changed the definition for her. And I think that that is terrifying. Well, I wonder if I wrote a letter. <laughs> would they change? Yeah, the if definition you could like change feminism? it back. They probably uh, look at your skin color and your and whether or not you're, uh, you know, they it's see how you stack up in the intersectionality um, mm, scale system. So, not very well, probably. Yeah, you probably wouldn't get it done. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting prospect. Uh, ultimately, what we're looking at is. I think the people that work at the at Merriam-Webster are sympathetic to her views and they're just using this as an excuse to go ahead and do that. So um, in addition, we talked a bit about how the uh, commissioners for the Portland police had essentially they voted to reduce the um, funding for the police bureau by 16 million dollars. And um, there was also a resignation from the former police chief, um, Jamie Risch, which is a, a female police chief. She's stepping down and uh, being replaced by a black man, Chuck Lavelle, who will be the, n- the new chief of police. A couple more. Uh, one that was kind of interesting was that uh, there were calls in the UK. So they've been tearing down all these statues, right, because supposedly these these figures on these historical um, statues were like slave owners or racist or problematic in some way or another. And they pulled down, you know, like Edward Colston and some pretty like significant historical figures. Um, So they're calling for the pulling, the removal of a Gandhi statue, Mahatma Gandhi. And when uh, I, I had to talk about that because when they're calling to pull down a statue of Gandhi, and meanwhile in Germany they just erected a statue of Lenin, you should be asking yourself, have we allowed things to go too far? Uh, in addition, just – I mean this isn't like for today, but I, I think I'll make it for tomorrow's news. Uh, Ted Theodore Roosevelt is going to be removed. Theodore Roosevelt, a progressive by the way, at least for his time. So, yeah, so they're they're calling to remove the Gandhi statue. And then lastly, I tried to talk about something a little bit positive. There was a story in the UK of a uh, mob that was sort of uh, apparently became a threat to this one counter protester. So there was a mob of Black Lives Matter protesters and there was this white man who was a counter protester uh, and he was in some serious danger. And one of the um, Black Lives Matter supporters, another black man, because he was getting beat up or something. This guy came in, 
picked him up and carried him out of the crowd uh, to essentially save him from the mob. And on the one hand, that seems like a good thing, and I thought it was. But when I looked at the story more, I learned that the, the, the motive, according to an interview with that black man that saved that white man, the motive was not because he didn't want the white man to be hurt. The motive was that he was afraid that because there were so many people there taking pictures and video that it would make Black Lives Matter look bad. So he basically did it to protect his people's optics. But I guess he did it. So there's that. And those are the news stories. Well, thank you. Uh, and if you'd like to hear more about those stories that Brian, Brian Martinez, Hannah Wallen, Mike J, and Dr. Ranmerkam talked about, stay tuned for Disarming Elmer Fudd, Changing the Definition of Racism, Gandhi is Problematic, HBR News 260. This is HBR News number 260. Arming, disarming, I'm sorry, disarming Elmer Fudd, changing the definition of racism, and Gandhi is problematic, where we reflect on the stories of the week and give it the badger treatment. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. I hope you're doing well this week and that you are laughing at all of this absurdity so that you are not consumed by it. I'm your host, Brian, and I'm joined by, as always, my austere patriarchs and our handmaiden, Hannah Wallen. Mike J and Dr. Ranamercam, also known as Mike Stephenson, but I like calling him Dr. Ranamercam because it doesn't create any confusion between him and the other Mike. We have a great it's Stevenson, by the way. Stevenson. Thanks for pronouncing it. Thanks for pronouncing it the Viking way. I appreciate that. <laughs> Twenty Indian soldiers died after clash with China along disputed border. Um, this happened uh, earlier today. At least 20 Indian soldiers have died after a violent face-off with Chinese troops along the country's de facto border in the Himalayas late Monday, the Indian Army has said. The incident occurred during a de-escalation process underway in the Galwan Valley in the disputed Aksai uh, Chin Lak area, where a large troop buildup has been reportedly taking place for weeks now on both sides of the border before senior military commanders began talks earlier this month. The Indian Army had earlier said that three soldiers had died, but added on Tuesday that a further 17 troops who were critically injured in the line of duty at the standoff location and exposed to sub-zero temperatures in the high-altitude terrain have succumbed to their injuries. The deaths are the first military casualties along two countries' disputed border for more than 40 years. According to the earlier Indian Army statement, there was loss of life on both sides, but it did not specify the number of Chinese casualties. So, uh, once again, Looney Tunes and its iconic cast of characters find themselves being rebooted. This time, seeing a time slot on HBO Max, which is HBO's new pay-per-month streaming service. I thought it was HBO Go. I don't know if it rebranded. I, I don't know if HBO Go is still a thing. I think that's more maybe like for like mobile devices maybe uh, i i have hbo max but i didn't pay for it this could be the reason why i recently like i think it was like a month ago i got an email from at&t who's my mm -hmm. internet service provider and because i'm doing the fiber for the fastest internet so that i can host this show without issues or at least you know more issues than we already have um they they said that it comes with hbo max like packed in so mm -hmm. i i don't use it but i do have it yeah, I, I think it's their their newest like because everyone's trying to get a slice of that that streaming pie there. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what Max is. I, mean, I take a guess. 
Anyway, that's, that's not the story. The story is that um, they're, they're, they, they basically have this thing now. They, they launched something crazy, like 200 episodes. Wow. Uh, new episodes of this new Looney Tunes. And uh, the new venture brings one very significant and very noticeable change. There will be no use of guns. You heard that right. Elmer Fudd will no longer pursue Bugs Bunny with his iconic hunting rifle. Yosemite Sam has been stripped of his signature twin revolvers. In an interview, Peter Browngart, executive producer of the reboot, states, quote, We're not doing guns, but we can do cartoony violence. TNT, the Acme stuff, all of that was grandfathered in, end quote. Fan reaction has been mixed, with some expressing confusion and even disappointment and others praising the creators for taking a stance on gun violence. Now, I, I for one, have, have shot many hundreds of rabbits entirely because of that cartoon. <laughs> and and I, I, I also hunt pigeons with airplanes because of that rather famous Dick Dastardly cartoon, Stop the Pigeon, <laughs> in which they use airplanes to stop a pigeon. Um, now, that show is still on the air, and that's why I continue to this day to use airplanes to catch pigeons. <laughs> oh, God. Someone else talk. Kennedy Mitchum, age 22, and a recent graduate of Drake University, had a problem with Merriam-Webster's definition of racism. In many of the conversations she had with others concerning the death of George Floyd, she found herself disagreeing with the often cited dictionary definition of racism. Quote, I kept having to tell them that the definition is not representative of what is actually happening in the world. The way that racism occurs in real life is not just prejudice, it's the systematic racism that is happening for a lot of black Americans. End quote. In the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the first definition of racism is, quote, a belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race, end quote. Mitchum emailed the editor of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, Alex Chambers, and after several email exchanges, email exchanges, sorry, Chambers agreed that the definition should be updated. Chambers stated, quote, This revision would not have been made without your persistence in contacting us about this problem. We sincerely thank you for repeatedly writing in and apologize for the harm and offense we have caused in failing to address this issue sooner. End quote. Another editor, Peter Sokolowski, stated that while racism was also defined as, quote, a doctrine or political program based on the assumption of racism and designed to execute its principles, end quote, and, quote, a political or social system founded on racism, I think we can express this more clearly to bring the idea of an asymmetrical power structure into the language of this definition. But it's also there. End quote. End quote, yes. In the wake of the unrest caused by George Floyd's killing, a movement to defund the police has picked up steam. Towns and cities across the country to look at ways in which they can either get rid of or defund their police departments. This past Thursday, Portland City Commissioners voted on several budget amendments. This is Portland specifically, which is a very fucking woke city, by the way. In these amendments, they slashed $16 million from the Portland Police Bureau. This is the equivalent of 107 
full-time positions, most of which are filled by men. With these reductions, the Bureau will lose several components, including the Gun Violence Reduction Team, Special Emergency Reaction Team, also known as SERT, and Transit Officers. The money will instead go to community-based programs such as the Portland Street Response, a program in which EMT and social workers respond to calls dealing with homelessness and mental health issues. Whether or not defunding the police will have a positive or negative effect on overall crime rates will be, is yet to be seen. In Chicago, on May 31st, the city had a record number of 18 murders. That's, that's in one day, by the way. The deadliest day in Chicago in 60 years. And just to add on to that, uh, it's important to note that um, in cities like Chicago, they also released prisoners from uh from prison on parole uh because of covid so basically there were fears that the disease was spread in the prison so they let a bunch of prisoners go and one of the cities in which they did that is chicago so the spike in murders to my knowledge is a combination of Lori lightfoot not knowing what the fuck she's doing protesters allowed to essentially create chaos lowering the police response and criminals that are actually out of prison running around the streets. Statues have been toppled and vandalized with the rise of protests in both the US and the UK. The statue of Mahatma Gandhi in Belgrave Road in Leicester Le seems to be next on the chopping block. Only erected in 2009, an online petition boasting around 5,000 signatures calls the Indian independence campaigner, quote, a fascist, racist, and sexual predator end quote this is gandhi we're talking about just so you guys know gandhi okay from the bbc quote professor of indian history at oxford university Fasi, uh, faisal devji sorry if i'm butchering these names said he thought the debate to remove the statue was absurd quote it seems almost surreal to have this to list the many things gandhi did he said He's a fallible man, as all men are, but to lump him in with slave owners, that's a bit much. Well, guess what, motherfucker? It's your fault we're at this point, because you think that, that anybody should have been taken down. Professor Devji said Gandhi's statue in Leicester, Leicester, I'm sorry if I'm Leicester. saying that. Leicester, okay, Leicester. There's Leicester. A, Le Le Leicester? Leicester, okay. There's a, yeah. there's a C in the word. Why is I know we're, it's it's a very old, very uh, fucked up language. Okay. What's that with? All right. Why, 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 why isn't it Connecticut and Arkansas? <laughs> They're old men. <laughs> You're right. Okay. Lester. Uh, the Gandhi statue in Lester was also a representation of the large refugee Gur Gujarati community in the city. Gandhi himself was Gujarati, and many of the city's residents came from Uganda when they were expelled by Idi Amin, he said. So in some ways, Gandhi's statue represents their presence in that place. Gandhi's biographer and grandson, Raja, Raj, Rajmahan Gandhi, previously admitted one of the fathers of modern India was, quote, at times ignorant and prejudiced about South, South Africa's blacks, end quote. Yeah, in the 19 fucking, what was it, the 50s, 60s? I believe he referred to them as cafe, as, uh, yes. which is... Which is kind of the the islamic word for you know yeah what I mean. yeah it was the k word 
Uh, but Professor Devji and Gandhi's record is actually very mixed, and he was known to sympathize with Africans during the Boer and Zulu Wars. Gandhi too was an imperfect human being, but imperfect Gandhi was more radical and progressive than most contemporary patriots, he said. There have also been calls to remove a statue of Cecil Rhodes from Oriel College in Oxford. Protesters have also defaced the statue of Winston Churchill, labeling the politician racist and threw a statue of Edward Colston in to Bristol's Harbor. A Black Lives Matter demonstrator hauled a counter-protester to safety in a London protest. I'm putting protest in quotes. Because um, if it was like violent enough that he might be in danger, I wouldn't say it's a protest, but okay. Patrick Hutchinson described his intervention in contrast to the lack of action taken by the Minneapolis police officers who were involved in George Floyd's death. This is quoted by him. Um, he told The Guardian, if the other three police officers that were standing around when George Floyd was murdered had thought about intervening and stopping their colleague from doing what he was doing, like we did, George Floyd would have been alive today. Hutchinson and his friends are security experts who attended the protest on Saturday to try and keep the peace. They saw the injured man cut off from his friends and brought him to safety. Yeah, that was a protest that injured him. It was all those signs and yelling. And peace. From The Guardian, quote, Pierre Noah, a businessman and friend of Hutchinson's, said of the incident the following. It would have turned out really bad because someone's life would have been taken and you know what would have happened. Straight away, black boys have killed somebody and they've killed a white man. It's just going to be worse. So we had to go out there. I couldn't sleep. Describing his motivation to help the protester, Jermaine Fassi, or Fassi, a personal trainer, said the following. I'm not protecting him. I'm protecting our kids. I was protecting their future because I know the judge would not have saw what happened before. I was protecting their future. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back once again. Okay, Hannah, it's your turn. Mosey on over. This I'm Thursday. not here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't believe that. I think no, that's I'm fake totally news. a figment of your imagination. Fake news. <laughs> that's what we were talking about. Oh, we had we had a, a fun conversation, fun and interesting conversation about lies. Um, and, and this conversation is going to continue. Uh, we've, we're, we're doing a series on this because there's a lot of ways that you're being lied to. And uh, the news is one of them. But the news has a lot of tools. So uh, this week, what we talked about was ways and and sort of means by which the news media uh, presents false narratives and false pictures. And we're going to talk more about that 
um, not this upcoming show, but the one after. In this upcoming show, we will be talking also about the ways uh, research can be warped and twisted to present uh, ideas as facts and facts as falsehoods. So we're going to uh, we're going to dig into this pretty good, and uh, and and we dug into the news pretty good as well. So uh, uh, take a listen. All right, and if that sounds like something you want to hear, I'm sure it is. This is media influences on citizens' perspectives and political debate. HBR Talk 138. I remember a game from my childhood. Kind of a bullying trick bigger kids used to play on littler kids, where they'd hold one hand up kind of high, wave it around and shake it a bit, and tell you, watch this hand. Your natural tendency as a kid is to look and see what that hand is going to do. Is this going to be one of those double-jointed finger tricks? Did the other kid find something interesting on the playground? There doesn't actually seem to be anything, just his hand. You might even get ready to dodge if that hand starts moving toward your face, like the last time when he told you your shoe was untied then chucked you in the nose with his knuckles. Your curiosity and confusion leave you completely open and unprepared when the trickster smacks you in the back of the head with his other hand. Like I said, kind of a bullying trick. It's one of the oldest around, too. Using misdirection to make a target vulnerable to a planned action by preventing him from seeing it coming. Pretty sneaky trick, but it wouldn't work on adults, right? Adults are too savvy for that. We've been around, you know. Had that game played on us when we were kids. We know better than to just stand there and stare. Don't we? HBR Talk with Hannah Wallen. Think about some of the things we've been watching lately and how we've been discussing them. Think back about public discussion regarding political protesting on university campuses, Black Lives Matter protests, Antifa, Russian interference in America's elections, past rioting and looting over media-reported police shootings. It's a guarantee everyone listening to this has opinions regarding each subject. We've argued on social media about the meaning of the First Amendment, when violence is or is not justified, the legitimacy of various narratives surrounding each story. It's been coming hard and fast, with rapid acceleration for more than the last decade. Have you noticed yet that it's a distraction? Interestingly, politicians, the media, celebrities, activists, they don't even have to be involved with each other to all be part of that. They don't even have to know they're all on the same page. Or the same hand. How have you been influenced? Until recently, whether you're on the left or the right could fairly easily be identified by whether you believe there's an epidemic of unprovoked police shootings of unarmed black men clearly a result of systemic racism, or whether you believe perpetually innocent cops are under attack for legitimate actions taken in the heat of the moment during conflicts with violent criminals. How many of you have articulated other possibilities only to have someone respond to you on social media by trying to strawman or shoehorn your position into one of those two boxes? Debate has been heated, widespread, and intense. Think about how you react to additional information and how you've seen others react. How do you, or people who have responded to you, view or use such information? How about statistics on shootings of unarmed citizens versus those who are armed? Black versus white deaths from police shootings. Police shootings of citizens versus citizen shootings of police. What do you use, or see others using, when debating whether black or white is overrepresented among shooting victims? 
general population statistics, or criminal perpetration statistics. Of those two datasets, why do you prefer to use the one you use? How have people responded when presented with information that doesn't fit neatly into a preconceived narrative on the subject? Information presented on this topic by well-known talking heads is usually designed to lead you to conclusions about whether or not racism is a systemic issue in the American justice system, and far too many people are predisposed to view the topic of police brutality through the filter of that one question. The hand in front of our faces does all kinds of tricks to point you in one direction or the other with specific regard to that one question. What isn't the polarized establishment discussing? What media has discussed increasingly invasive authoritarian policy affecting personal life choices as a factor in conflicts between police and citizens? What legislative actions are they reporting on during these conflicts? Or are they busy showing video to direct your thinking on whether in mass citizen responses to their reporting on individual incidents is mostly violent or mostly nonviolent, justified or unjustified, organic or non-locally organized? Are they too busy telling you what to think about each most recent spectacle to investigate or speculate on the underlying social, economic, policy-related, educational, and public sentiment factors that may have contributed to its development? If they do explore, do they want to shoehorn you into one of those topics rather than examining how they may be interrelated? We've seen left-wing media downplaying protest violence that is being exaggerated by right-wing media. Different sources blame that violence on different entities, and various denials have also been reported. Sometimes it's downright ridiculous. A CNN reporter monologues about nonviolent protests while buildings along the protest route are burning in the background of the shot, and Fox News augments a story on Seattle's Antifa stand, previously known as an autonomous zone, and now referred to as an occupied protest, by pairing it with images of burning buildings from recent riots instead of showing the zone itself. Is the truth somewhere between the narratives on left and right, or is it somewhere else altogether? There's been a lot of discussion about whether various shooting incidents justify the protests, arguments over who is doing the rioting and looting and who is behind these actions, and even over whether rioting and looting are legitimate forms of protest. The public has been eating that up, sharing commentary they agree with on social media, posting memes, hashtagging related buzzwords and phrases, arguing the whole nine yards. This, too, is almost all theater. The illusion can be easily destroyed with one question. Given the size and scope of authoritarian power in the United States between local, county, and state police forces, federal law enforcement, and our military capabilities, do you really think an occupied zone exists in a section of an American city because nobody can stop the people involved? While you're considering that, here's some other things to consider. The question isn't just about why they haven't been pushed out and sent home or rounded up and carted away. How are they getting unintercepted support and supplies from outside that zone? Local and state authorities don't have to let goods or people travel through the area outside the zone. This is not a form of protest that is protected under the First Amendment. Inept as it may be, walked back as the narrative on it has been, this was clearly intended as a rebellion. With whose permission did it happen, and why? 
That spectacle is one hell of a big hand to watch. What are we not noticing because of it? So, why is this important to us? Well, who is getting shafted in every aspect of this? What sex are the majority of cops? The majority of cops killed in action? The majority of citizens killed in conflict with cops? The majority of cops being demonized as cogs in the wheels of a racist system in the wake of these incidents? The majority of the dead being posthumously demonized as one-dimensional thugs by one side and held up as saints by the other to become role models for who? The majority of victims of violent crime we're supposed to depend on cops to protect us from. Who is doing the heavy lifting in the protests? I'm not just talking about leadership, but boots on the ground activism. Whose feet are in most of those boots? When left-wing establishment media encourages this violence and the people arrested during these protests have their day in court, who is more likely to receive harsh judgment rather than lenience? When right-wing establishment media emphasizes the brick-throwing, fire-setting violence in the protests, who is most often being pictured as perpetrators? When there's conflict between groups of protesters, who do we see engaging in physical combat? Who is getting attacked? Who is getting injured? Who is being portrayed by media on both sides as violent aggressors against the side that has each media outlet's sympathy? When reporters use the word thug to describe people on either side of the conflict, whose image are they expecting the public to picture in their minds? If local governments continue to condone and facilitate violent protests and occupations, which citizens will be put in the position of defending their businesses, homes, and families? If the crisis reaches a point where the president decides military action is justified, who will he be sending into action against their fellow citizens? What sex is the vast majority of military personnel? Who will those soldiers be pointing their guns at? And who will they and their targets feel obligated to shield from those guns? Whose job is it going to be to clean up when it's all over? Who has the most reason to look around and try to figure out what the other hand is doing before it blindsides you. You are being lied to. Um, uh, I just, I do want to lighten it up uh, a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to read a joke that I stumbled across in a comment section. Um, somebody said, President Trump and the Pope were out on a yacht enjoying a nice cruise. A brisk wind suddenly came up in the Pope's beanie flew off into the water. The Secret Service sprang into action to retrieve the beanie, but President Trump said, hold on, I'll get it. And then he stepped out of the boat and walked across the water, retrieved the beanie, and brought it back to the Pope. The next day, the New York Times and Washington Post's headline read, Trump can't swim, what a loser. <laughs> yeah, right? one, of, one of the stories... Uh my mom always loves to tell is uh, now my mother's white my dad was my dad was black and um so my brother was born in 72 and one day when my brother had to be about maybe two or three years old or something like that my father was alone in the car with him and he got pulled over by a cop so the cop comes up to the window and my brother's sitting in the back seat and out of his mouth goes my daddy says you're a pig. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, but, you know, this this black guy, like, n you know, and nothing, 
negative happened to, and this was in the 70s, you know? So I just don't understand what the difference is between now and 40 years ago. Like, how how is it that it's, it's just so diametrically opposite? And, I, you know, I really don't think it is. I think it's the media that brings light to these one-off cases. And now, granted, it's not... I'm, I'm not trying to downplay the amount of times that these situations happen because they do, you know, but I think the, we know the media has, has an impetus to downplay the, these situations when they happen to white people, like in the case of Tony Tempa, who died in the same exact manner. It's a very similar manner to, um, yeah, like I felt there was a lot more joking going on. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And there was no uprising, no looting, no burning shit down, no looting the fucking stores over that. But, you know, it happened to the wrong person at the wrong time. The media got hold of it. They got their fucking teeth into it. And, you know, here we are. You know, you look at it, you look at the the media narrative, and I I just remember there was there's a there's actually a, a video on YouTube called the narrative by uh, Bill Whittle, and he talks about uh, he talks about Trayvon Martin's case, but he also talks about this one uh, protest outside the White House, and it was a bunch of Tea Partiers who were protesting against Obamacare, and the coverage on MSNBC. Um, showed a clip of the back of a man. He had a sidearm, a pistol on his hip, and he had a uh, an assault rifle strapped across his back. And they, you know, showed him from behind, and and uh, and they said, uh, and many are concerned that this is, a, you know, a matter of people, uh, racist white people who who. Uh, object to a, a black man in the White House, right? Well, the footage, the full footage, they cropped it. They cropped the video, right? So you couldn't see his head, you couldn't see above his collar, and you couldn't see below his cuffs. He was black. Mm. He was a peaceful black man who was legally open carrying. And joining a protest against Obamacare, right? And they portrayed, they cut off his head and his hands so you couldn't tell what race he was so that they could smear him and feed a narrative that he was a racist white tea partier who just hates the fact that a black man was president. When they find this guy in the parking lot and, uh, you know, do, did they actually release how much, um, how much, he, How high was, was his was his BAC according he, to the breathalyzer? Okay, Did we find he, that out publicly? Yeah, yes. Okay. Yes. He was not in a parking lot. He was in well, the no, drive-through lane. Yeah, the drive-through yeah. lane is in the parking lot. Okay, There's almost yeah, no McDonald's but, anywhere in the world that has a drive-through lane that is not inside its parking lot. So let's not okay. nitpick. Okay, yeah, he, except he's literally for, he's, in the line. Yeah. He's in the yeah, yeah. line. So they with find his car him. Right. So they find like, him. What, take, what was his BAC? Okay. 
after about 20 minutes, they gave him a breathalyzer. Right. And I've taken a breathalyzer before, and that was the shortest fucking breathalyzer I've ever seen taken. Right. But okay. the question is, what did the they question find? is, the question is, right, it was a very short breathalyzer, and the moment that it went above the legal limit, the cop said, okay, that's good. So, so it was in other 0. words... But it could have been much higher than that. It could have been, but we don't know that because, it was. So here's he the thing. Not, he so, did not blow long enough to get his actual blood alcohol That's, that's fine. That's fine. Here's the thing. What if it wasn't? What if it wasn't higher than that? Because here's a guy who had the physical um, coordination, right, to wrestle two cops at once, to uh -huh. wrestle himself free... In the process of wrestling himself free, he had the coordination, the physical coordination, to grab one of their weapons. So you're when saying he ran he away wasn't, from them. Now, now hang on, hang on, to run away from them, and then while he was running, turn and fire at the face of one of the cops. And he did it where the he fired so close to the face of that cop that it went right over his head. Now, yeah, and he expected to hit him in the face with that. All right. Yeah. So. Not that I'm saying he wasn't impaired at all, because that's not important. Um, the, the question here is, when I was in high school, all right, the blood alcohol level for driving while intoxicated was not 0 .08. It was 0 .14. All right. Now, currently, they're saying 0 .16 is such a high level of intoxication that you're considered to be significantly impaired. Mm -hmm. So they have lowered the standards over time for how impaired a person, or for how, how much alcohol a person can have in their bloodstream and be considered impaired. Uh, what had happened prior well, to no, that, well, what had no, happened impaired, prior, no, 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 stop. Let me finish. Totally different things. Let me finish. Uh, for a person to be too impaired to drive, right? So they have, they have lowered the standard for a person to be too impaired to drive, They've lowered the standards for how uh, they count how impaired a person is going to be. Um, in fact, they've lowered it so much that if you look at the BACs in the, the Brock Turner case, he and his alleged victim were in the same category of drunkenness. Mm -hmm. uh, so unless uh, evidence showed that he, he uh, waited until she was pass out, passed out to start against her will, they're basically, uh, you know, convicting of being, him of being too drunk to figure out when his partner passed out. And in this case, if that guy's blood alcohol content was, was not accurate, okay. But if it was accurate, and he was only at .08, when I was in high school, they would not have arrested uh, him for drunk point, driving. No, 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 or point, point, point .108. Okay, okay, that makes a big difference. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, if he just waited, even actually 0 0.108, he still wouldn't have been, it's he would have had to much. get up to 0.14. He still wouldn't have been arrested for, for drunk driving, right? So here is a situation that would have been completely avoided. They might have pulled him off to the side and said, hey, man, you can't sleep in the drive-thru. And they might have sent him home. You know, they might have said, you're too tired to drive. We're going to take you home and you're going to have to get a ride from somebody to come get your car. I, I right. don't. I don't that, know. All of those things might have been very different if there had not been a change of law to okay. take the blood alcohol content limit 
from from uh, uh, 0.14 to something like 0.08. Now, okay, that is not, not necessarily, necessarily argue. that is not necessarily saying that changing the law was wrong, but that is a factor in the case, and that is something to look at. And there are people my age who grew up with uh, like the the blood alcohol content uh, laws being very different, uh, and what had happened prior to uh, well, the was change 27. was that the yeah he's he's not he's not old enough to have to remember that, but he might be he might have been savvy enough to know it, but even if he wasn't, if he had been my age and this had happened back then, again the cops wouldn't have arrested him for that. Yeah, if you know, it was they back wouldn't then, have arrested you know, him in 1988. You know, they wouldn't have arrested him if, in in 1989. They wouldn't have arrested him in 1991. I don't think even if he was 0.25, they wouldn't have arrested him in 1964, right? right. I mean, like if, thing, if things weren't different, they would be. They wouldn't be the same. Well, right? that's my point. So, it's a, it is a factor, and it is something that doesn't get discussed. And there are a lot not, of situations like that. You know what's happening that nobody's talking about? Because of all of the rioting, the lootings, the killings, there are th over 30 Obama officials who are summoned to, to uh, Congress or court. Mm -hmm. They're going to court. Oh, well, Nobody's you know, talking about hey, that. Yeah, yeah, even, no, even no. Fox is not talking very much about it. There's a little bit right. of They've got a lot of published articles about it, but they haven't had yeah. a lot of – I've seen very little discussion about the, the, the situation in the Justice well, Department right now. I don't have cable, so I don't watch it. I don't watch the, you know, the constant stream of Fox News. I don't watch their entirety of their programming, right? But I do watch, you know, the seven to ten minute clips that they put out on YouTube. I right? see they it are at work. Talking, they are talking about it. And, you know, like, but nobody in the mainstream really wants to talk about it. And that's because, you know, like they... They just they just think okay we can just ignore it and maybe November will come before anything comes of this and I'm I'm just like no there are uh, more than thirty um, people uh, who have been subpoenaed yeah. to uh, to the Senate Judiciary Committee to answer for uh, their part in the Russia probe and uh, yeah no it's it's not going to look good right. You know, in October, I don't know if any of the listeners know, but in October, because Durham, uh, John Durham had been uh, recruited by the Department of Justice to investigate the investigation, right? Find out what went wrong. Because we already knew uh, from uh, I, Inspector General Horowitz's report that a bunch of things went wrong, including a FBI lawyer falsifying a piece of evidence and then submitting it to a, a secret FISA court, right? So in order to renew a warrant to spy on an American citizen. So we know there were all kinds of lines that were crossed that were not okay. And, uh, and then just recently, uh, acting uh, Director of National Intelligence Rick Grinnell released 53 transcripts of the secret hearings that Adam Schiff held in his intelligence committee, right? Okay, and he had he th these were held in the basement of the Capitol building. Uh, there were no cameras allowed. They were not publicized. There and the only information that was allowed to to uh, be uh, conveyed to the press 
was from was the information authorized by Adam Schiff. And what we saw was Adam Schiff saying, oh, there's evidence of Russian collusion in plain sight. It's in plain sight. More than circumstantial evidence. Absolutely 100% more than stronger evidence than just circumstantial. And it's sitting in plain sight. You know, and I've heard all of this in these hearings, right? And then Rick Grinnell was like, well, there's no reason to keep these things classified. I'm going to declassify them, right? First gay director of national intelligence and the first one with balls, right? Um, and he, he's like, yeah, no. Uh, and he, he declassified them and he told Adam, and he did them one at a time and he, he forwarded them one at a time to Adam Schiff. And Adam Schiff just refused to release them. And then finally, when Grinnell was finished the last one, he said, you're going to release them or I am. One or the other, which do you prefer, right? You're going to make them public. And what what was this more than circumstantial evidence that was sitting in plain sight? It was, oh, I don't have any evidence of that. Oh, we don't even know if any data was exfiltrated from the DNC server at all, let alone that it was by the Russians, right? We don't have any concrete evidence of anything, right? That was what was going on behind closed doors, you know, that the American public was not allowed to see, right? So anyway, in October, John Durham announced that his administrative inquiry, okay, into the investigation of the Russia thing russia collusion thing right he was changing he was he was uh he was changing that reclassifying it to a criminal probe that was last october how many people in the united states know that the person who just spent like four months investigating this said no this is not an administrative inquiry this is now a criminal probe how many people in the u.s do you think know that most people probably don't know that actually even even the uh people who without <laughs> going online news, and right? without without reading print news just <laughs> watch the news anchors and the talking heads I, i've been getting these email from the uh joe biden team it's just it's so fucking perfect I, i've been wanting to tweet about it because they all every single one of them they're calling me by the wrong name oh god hi, hi holly would <laughs> you like you to know. show your support i'm like you that's even how your you know you got on a list <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's how you know i actually used to get uh calls and emails and stuff from from um people who who got my name from a list where somebody uh hit the j and the h key at the same time so they thought my name was uh some some version of jana and uh <laughs> so they thought i was they thought i was middle eastern they just assumed i was middle eastern i don't know why because i've never seen that uh combination of letters as an actual name um mm -hmm. but i guess they just assumed because the j and the h were put together that it must be some sort of you know <laughs> kind of thing and they, they were they were making this assumption that you know Some that kind must of be Middle thing, Eastern yeah right uh, or Yiddish or something along those lines right but uh, yeah. but in any case um, uh, the no going back to my friend she had a she had a really great method of dealing with this because she she was getting these calls every day and sometimes multiple times and she just got sick of it so she answers the phone and she gets this person you know starts talking hi my name is so-and-so can I can I speak with you for a few minutes 
she goes, okay. She totally does not have a high-pitched voice. Okay. You know, and, and, and uh, it's like, uh, well, uh, are, are, you, are you the lady of the house? Yeah. You know, and, and then she goes on. It goes on like that. And, and she, uh, she gets asked a question and she goes, pineapple. And they say, okay. You know, she, she goes on and asks her another question. Pink elephants. Okay. And, and she, this continues for so She gets up to, you know, several different zombie, you know, and just answers like that. Can I talk to your mom? My mommy doesn't live here. <laughs> and she just went on like that until they th stopped calling her. Eventually, they were like, "Okay, we aren't getting anywhere with this house. We're gonna, we're just gonna take them on off the list." Um, yeah, and that was the end. Of I, I get a lot of uh, spam calls, but I don't pick up calls from numbers I don't know. So you know, everything just goes. You either go to voicemail or you just fucking give up. So, yeah. but I, I would love to know. I should probably start picking up some of these calls and like recording them. You know, it's, <laughs> like it's really easy to deal with this, with uh, unwanted calls if you have ever played a brass instrument. Because mm -hmm. all you have to do is put your lips together. I, I don't know if I can do this quietly, but you into the into the phone as loud mm -hmm. and hard as you possibly can. For some reason, when you do that, they don't call back ever. <laughs> when you see something in the news media. Um, Look for the rest of the picture. If you see all of the talking heads talking about one thing, look to see what it is what they're not talking about. Um, yep. And and if you see them visiting one question about a particular topic or issue, and they're all focused on that one question, ask what questions are they not asking that are related to this topic or this issue, uh, because all of those are ways that that they don't overtly lie to you necessarily but they're still deceiving you and they may be doing it on purpose and they may be doing it because that's their point of view and it's all they're looking at and they're they've got their blinders on and they don't see the other questions themselves three two with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back from fake news and uh, media influence. So, Brian... We did a show for Father's Day. Yes, yes, we did. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about it. Uh, what, what? What? Well, I guess I, I'm. Did I choose it? I guess I choose chose yes, the topic. Yes, actually, yeah, you did. All right. So I'll, I'll do it. I won't force you to do my work. Um. Okay. So what we did for Father's Day is we had Justin Trotchie come on and talk about his initiatives to create initiative to create a men and family center in Vancouver, BC, Canada. And he, he explained the services that he's going to be offering, why it's really necessary to have a center like that. And the specific um, selling point of the, the Vancouver Center is it's going to have a bit of a focus on substance abuse issues among men. Apparently, in Vancouver, 80% of the people who are overdosing on drugs are men. 
So, and of course, Justin brings a very pro-male slant to services for men, which is very good because men do need to know that they are valuable to their communities, to their families, to their children's, to their children. So that, and we, and that was what we talked about during the first bit. And then the second bit, we went over a, a article that actually talks about how men are beneficial to their children and how important fatherhood is to, to the development of morality, compassion, understanding, and other very important things related to being able to have an ethical society and ethical people. This is what's a dad good for? That, that's a bit of hyperbole, of course. We answer the question that dads are very, very important. With Brian Martinez, Justin Trache of the Canadian Association for Equality, talking about his initiative to create a men and family center in Vancouver, the Prim Reaper, and myself. Hello and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. I'm Allison Tiemann and I'll be your host for this episode of Men's Mental Health number 11. What's a dad good for? I mean, really, what do we need him for? All right, I'm here, <laughs> I'm here with Brian Martinez, the Prim Reaper, and Justin Trottier of CAFE, Canadian Association for Equality. And uh, Justin has some stuff to talk to us about, an initiative. Um, yeah. that he is pursuing. So Justin, why don't you tell us about what, what you have in store, what, what you're up to? Wait, wait, before that, before that, Justin, happy Father's Day. In oh, case, yeah, yeah. Uh, because he's a new father, guys. So please wish Justin a happy Father's Day. And happy Father's Day to all of you guys out there that are watching that are our fathers or have fathers. And I hope that you have access to your kids. Thank you for having me on the show. I wanted to announce... Um, to all your, your viewers and listeners, a really exciting development. We are looking at um, taking another big leap for the Center for Men and Families, opening up our first uh, men's center on the West Coast uh, in Vancouver. You've been very generous to have me on at critical points uh, in the organization's history, and you had me on a couple years back, so I could announce uh, we were expanding to, uh, to Western Canada, opening a center in Calgary. That was the first one in Alberta. And now we're gonna do the same thing in Vancouver, the first men's center on the West Coast and responding in a very timely way um, to the crisis uh, that boys, men, fathers, and families are, are currently in. All right, did you wanna give us, uh, tell us where to find more information about this initiative or direct people to how they can support it? Yep, so we've set up a Patreon crowdfunding platform at patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash CCMF Vancouver. And you'll see a lot of uh, important information, some videos also, if you want to hear from some of the team members. We have a very dynamic, uh, uh, fairly large team of volunteers uh, on the West Coast. I should say, most all the work we do is supported and led by volunteers. It's really an amazing thing, so many people dedicating their time and their energy. I think because these issues uh, hit close to home uh, for a lot of the people that, that work with us. So patreon.com slash Vancouver. The facts are in, children need fathers. Statistics show that children who grew up without a father figure are more likely to develop behavioral and emotional problems. Uh, statistics show that many countries are experiencing an increase in the number of families in which no father figure is present. In the US, currently one, of, uh, one out of every three children grows up without a father, 
and in minority communities it's far higher i just want to add like in the black community for example where i live it's uh three out of four so that's really awful which means 25 million american children are in this situation in the case of the european countries of sweden iceland and france single mothers now outnumber mothers with a spouse or partner in spain the profile of a juvenile delinquent is that of an underage male without a father according to statistics from that country's attorney general's office do children need to have a father figure while growing up can they do without will growing up without a father affect them law professor maria calvo from charles iii university in madrid states that the presence of a father is necessary and that in his absence children suffer important deficiencies that then have negative consequences for society as a whole statistics yes it's a, this is all very shocking I mean, info okay I, I i know that that we get these articles in this research periodically that positively affirms what we all know which is children need fathers but at what point do people realize that children need fathers more than women need the convenience of arranging their lives in any way that they want full stop mm. like this is this is and, and this is really where the rubber meets the road are we willing as a society to tell that to women? No. Once you have a child with someone, once you have a child with a man, that child's relationship with his, his or her father is something that you have to figure in in your plans about your own personal life. And you don't get a choice in the matter. Or if you do get a choice, then that choice is not going to be applauded, shall we say. It's going to be, you know, we're going to hold you to task for this. We're going to say this is something, this is something you need to consider morally and you need to take, to take responsibility for. Because we know, I mean, how much science do we need to know that children need their fathers? That not only children suffer, society suffer, communities suffer, families suffer, everyone suffers when children's fathers are not in their lives. So it's no longer a situation where we can afford to say, yes, women's choices about their lives are more important than a father's relationship to his, to his child, you know, a, a safe, loving father's relationship to his child. According to Calvo, there are statistics that should make us reflect. Number one, 90% of the young men in prison in the United States grew up without a father. 90% of men in prison grew up without a father. After the Tottenham riots in the United Kingdom in 2011, a sociological follow-up survey was performed on the more than 1,000 people who were arrested, and it turned out that 85% of them had grown up without a father. I also want to go back to the prison statistic I heard, maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but it's not just true that 90% of the young men in prison grew up without a father, but there's also a significant, like 86% or something, like close to 90% of men in prison have had uh, very abusive childhoods. I feel like that, that that was also a thing, which generally, if you grow up without a father, you are more likely to be abused as a child, either by the mother or by a boyfriend or stepfather who sort of like, you know, is a live-in person that doesn't have a connection with you, um, which is also your mother's fault because she brought this person into the home. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that happens uh, as well. So just sort of adding to what's already out there. 
So at that time, Prime Minister David Cameron, this is in the UK, drew a direct line from the absence of fathers in the home to the chaos on the streets. Not that it was the only factor, but it was a key one nonetheless. Well, that was something that I had read about a long time ago, talking like, you know, in, in the black communities um, mm. that, you know, the, the, the fatherlessness that, that happens there, it kind of perpetuates this problem where young men in those communities, they don't really have a, a positive masculinity source in their life. So they will often get it from, you know, gang activity in the area or like similar things like that. Mm-hmm. And so in the absence of this po- positive masculinity, they're kind of in this perpetual negative masculinity that's contributing to crime and poverty and poor job outcomes, poor education levels. And it just kind of sort of falls in on itself and continues repeating. And this is kind of one of the main things where I've seen this is something that we should be looking at to, to be making a tangible change in these communities. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess let's focus on changing a syrup container instead. That's obviously going to have much more effect on these communities. Right. Growing up without a father is more detrimental than growing up poor. The absence of a father figure, says Calvo, is at the root of most social problems. Violence, drug abuse, pre-adolescent pregnancy, yes, that's also for girls, academic failure, running away from home, etc. Before, it was thought that poverty was the cause, but no, it is the absence of the father. In fact, the absence of the father creates poverty. Um, yeah. Oh, go There's, ahead, Prim. Go ahead. Sorry, I was I was going to say, yeah, that was actually something that I was going to bring up earlier as well, because, you know, not having that um, that income, that support to help the family, um, it, you know, it's it not only deprives a child of the father's influence in the life, but it also deprives that family of the, the, the financial contributions of the father, assuming you know, that child support isn't a thing, but mm-hmm. regardless, um, even, it, even when the father isn't able to financially contribute, they still have a significant positive effect on their families. On yeah. their Just being there. So that, well, that, it, oh, of course go. that's, I would never want to, you know, imply otherwise, but you know, it's with, with a single mother, like having to work to afford to, to cover their family, um, you know, they, it makes it more often that they're going to be out of the house, more often that the children are going to be without without adequate care. Mm-hmm. And so that there's a number of things that that having the father out of the life will contribute negatively to in the outcomes for children. Maria Calvo laments that today the father figure has been devalued in our society and there is a growing mentality that children can grow up just the same without a father. She says the following quote, especially between the ages of three and five, young boys need the presence of their father as a model of masculinity. End quote. Calvo said this recently at a roundtable organized by the Villa Cisneros Foundation in Madrid. When a masculine role model is missing, young boys can grow up guided by stereotypes that orient them towards violence and male chauvinistic behaviors. Well, that's funny because they get that from their mothers and from the women that raise them. So I don't know, like, I don't know if that's is is a male chauvinistic stereotypes, like if they're not coming from 
actual fathers, then are they male chauvinistic stereotypical behavior? Because what I've noticed, and, and I'll, I'm not the expert, but what I've noticed is that in the neighborhoods I grew up in in Chicago, uh, where there's a lot of gang violence, and there's a lot of gang activity, like a lot, and the, the gangs have a tremendous reach, and they are primarily made up of men, although there are female counterparts to these gangs. Um, they actually act very, let's say, feminine. Not, not homosexual, not girly, but they're, they have a tendency to react in emotional knee-jerk ways. They get angry easily. They lash out violently. They, they act like their mother acts towards them, essentially. And that's how they act in the world. The only difference is, is that they're doing so while in a man's body. So their uh, capacity to uh, dole out harm is much, much higher. But they don't learn, like, boundaries. They don't learn stoicism. They don't learn self-control. They don't, they don't learn those things um, in general. So that's where the violence comes from. Okay, nihilism. They can also fall prey to a negative view of life. The nihilist philosophers Nietzsche, Bertrand Russell, and Albert Camus, uh, Albert Camus was a communist, uh, anarcho-syndicalist, technically, uh, grew up without a father. And they all had like these nihilistic personalities. In the case of Camus, Professor Calvo explains that the French author had handwritten a few lines in the margin of a manuscript that was found when he died after being having been hit by a car at the age of 46 a text that would later be published as The First Man. Quote, this is um, Camus's uh, written margin. I need someone to guide me. I need someone to praise me, to chastise me, not with his power, but with his authority. I need my father, end quote. That's really interesting because um, when I listen to that, it's, it is powerful in terms of evoking a need, but it's also like, it almost feels like his sense of uh, parental authority is very much flavored by uh, the feminine um, mm -hmm. to chastise me. Oh, to, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because uh, it's, you know, in my experience, and maybe it's also because I, you know, I can't really speak to all fathers, but my father was more like, a, um, you know, he just... Uh, just a sort of a steady presence and teaching me how to overcome obstacles through consistent effort, as opposed to necessarily chastisement or um, that kind of judgment seems more f uh, like a mother really. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Cause I don't remember getting chastised a lot by, by my father. It was always more of a, you know, like, like, like a, a, a friendly positive force in my life. Like I, I, I remember very little, um, being chastised, but it was, it was always just this sort of su supportive figure, this sort mm -hmm. of, um, positive, let me show you all of these things about life kind of attitude. I, I'm not. Yeah. So, um, fathers can help provide balance. Cal Calvo says that in raising children, the father compensates for the mater maternal desire to give their children everything. The father is also often the one who establishes children's sense of hierarchy, primarily that of the authority of parents with respect to the children, but also that of teachers, police, and authority in general. Actually, I would say that's not quite correct. What mothers do is they give based on whether or not they approve. 
Um, so if you're good, you get this. If you're bad, you get that. Fathers seem to arrange things such that you earn. So unless it's not approval of the authority, um, it is, do you, have you earned this? Not, are you in, in the authority's good graces or their bad graces? Therefore you are, you are owed this or you're, you're not, you don't get, you get it or you don't get it. This is how you earn something. Go and take the actions to earn it. Well, it's that, like, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. I was like, it, it, it's like there's the distinction between, you know, the boss and the leader, right? Or the mm -hmm. boss, like, you know, I'm the boss of you. You do what I say because I'm the boss. Whereas the leader's like, no, you know, let's, if, if I can engender your respect in me, then you, I, I won't need to demand what, what you do because, you know, you'll, you'll just do it because you respect my authority and because you understand what it is that I'm trying to do, that I have your best interests in mind. And so it's, it's very much a, a different kind of, of mode. One, I think, is, is really about exerting that power, whereas another one is kind of about building respect. At the same time, fathers represent freedom, Calvo explains, because they push children beyond the boundaries allowed by their sometimes overprotective mothers. So they, the, she's basically talking about the balance, essentially. A father and mother are both necessary. In this way, the best education a child can receive is that which comes from having both a mother and a father. Both are necessary for a child's full development. When this is impossible, the absence of the father or mother will have to be taken into account, and steps will have to be taken to ensure there are people who can help compensate for the absence of the missing parent. <laughs> Welcome to the subterranean lair, under the subterranean lair. Everywhere we go, men are being shamed. They're being shamed for being men, for being masculine, for their interests, for their lack of interest, for how they express their emotions, or don't express their emotions at all. You want to just suck it up and tough it out. But that's shame, too. Being stoic is the reason why women are hurt, don't you know? Or at least that's what they say. Imagine a community where men don't need women's permission to be men, where women have men's back, because as strong as you are, sometimes you need someone to notice you and take a moment to show that they care. Imagine the Honey Badger Radio community, men and women coming together to be their best selves and support each other overcoming all the messages that men and masculinity are bad and to blame for the world's ills. If you're interested in joining that community, and taking your place by our side, helping us build a more compassionate, a more just, and just plain funny world, then go to feedthebadger.com. Support our community. Take part. Help us build something great together. The world needs masculinity. It needs men. It needs you. We recognize that. Support that recognition. Feedthebadger.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.